Testing. One, two. Just between you and me, that wasn't me. I didn't do anything. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to have you here this morning, particularly if you are a child, and I do encourage you to both listen, but also do what Margie has prepared for you and do a great job of colouring in. You can do both. You, many of you can multitask as kids. So colour in and listen, and if you can come to me at the end of the service, and if you tell me what you thought was the best bit or what you know it was about, what was the sermon about, and what did you get from it, something like that, just one question, one of those, then I'll make sure Margie gives you a sticker too. Um, I've got, with Mr and Mrs Thames' permission, I have chocolate. I'll give you a chocolate. If you can tell me at the end of the service what it was about, or what you got out of it, or something like that. Deal? If you're a child. <laughs> all right, all right, no, I know what you like. All right, anybody. We are here, and it's uh, seven days till Christmas. Woohoo! <laughs> you been good? Because he knows. You've been naughty, if you've been nice. And it's not about him. It's about Jesus. So it's another opportunity for us to get together to worship and to honour Jesus. The world won't. So it really is up to us. So Christmas Eve, what time? Christmas Day, what time? Great time for us to come together as God's people to honour and exalt the King whose birthday it is. We're going to pray together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be together this morning. We thank you for the occasion, the coming of the Lord Jesus, who through his death and resurrection gathered us as his people out of the world, and that in every Sunday, we and your people around the world will gather together to sing praises to you, Lord Jesus, to hear your word, and to commit ourselves and to encourage one another to stay passionate in following you. Lord, as we read your word and as we meditate upon it this morning, we ask that you might speak to us. Help us to be listening and discerning. Help us to use our imagination. Help us to be analysing. But at the end of the day, Lord, help us to be obedient and apply that which you require of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Everybody said... We're going to read from God's Word. Matthew chapter 1 is our reading this morning. I'm going to read from the screen because I don't have that version with me this morning. <clears throat> so, so that we're all on the same page. This is what Matthew writes. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. <clears throat> His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, inverted commas, technically, was faithful to the law and yet uh, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." Now, whether it's, and she will give birth to a son, the angel says, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And then he gave him the name Jesus. Incredibly familiar story, as they are for us. If you've known the Lord Jesus for a number of years, then certainly at this time of the year, these are incredibly familiar. This morning, I wanted to focus our attention sort of on Joseph, the forgotten man of, Bethle- of the story of Christmas in many ways. <clears throat> there was a school putting on a Christmas pageantry, a rehearsing of the story. And the day that that was to go on, that afternoon, the mum of the child rings the principal of the school saying their son, who was to play Joseph, had gotten the flu and couldn't perform, couldn't come. There was a mad panic. What are we going to do? It was too late to recast somebody else. What shall we do? The organisers of the play got together and they came up with a brilliant idea. We'll just take Joseph out of the script. The show went on. People came, saw it. And the remarkable thing was hardly anybody noticed that Joseph wasn't there. He's not the focal point, is he? Mary is. Jesus is. The shepherds are. The three wise men are. They all get a Guernsey nearly every year. They're the focus. They're the ones we sing about. I meant to check this. Let's do a quick test. Are there any hymns, carols that talk about Joseph? Joseph and his wife Mary, what? Went to Bethlehem one day at night. Any others? I don't know that one. I don't think I know that one. Sorry? No, you sang it. Don't assume that just because I'm in the building that I'm singing stuff. Did we just sing that? Did it mention Joseph? Aha, uh-huh. we may not have done that first. Aha, uh-huh. uh-huh. He's pretty much the forgotten man of Christmas, but he's key and significant. You may already know this. When you look at the whole New Testament, he's mentioned, well, you tell me, where is he mentioned? Matthew, chapters 1 and 2. Luke. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Is that it? One more reference, John chapter 6. That's it. Doesn't get a lot. He gets a Guernsey at this part of the, at this story, this involvement and associated events. Outside of that, not mentioned. And in fact, as I'll come back to in a moment, when Jesus begins his public ministry, it's very likely if Joseph has not passed away, he is very soon going to. Is that rain? That's nice. That'll cool it down a bit. Maybe. So this morning, what I want to do is to follow Max Licardo's lead, who did this on another characters in the Bible. He makes this statement, the white spaces between Bible verses 
a fertile soil for questions. They are, aren't they? How many times have you been reading a Bible passage and you've got a question? I wonder. And Lakoto, being a very creative writer and writing about other Bible characters, he certainly asked these sorts of questions. For instance, do you think Eve ever wrote, uh, ate fruit again? It's interesting, isn't it? What do you think Noah was like in storms after he landed? Do you think Moses ever looked at another bush? <laughs> Did Jonah enjoy eating fish? Well, the fish ate him. <clears throat> so too, when we come to this story of Joseph, there is some holy imagination that I've been engaged in in the last week or so. And this morning I am going to share with you some of my results. And you'll know what is factual and you'll know what is a guess and you know what is Daryl's imagination, which I think is sanctified and correct, but you can talk about it. What do we know about Joseph? Well, let's do some of the background stuff and go pretty quickly and then get to this main story. And there's a couple of lessons to come out of his life. One of the mistakes we can make when we look at the Bible and we look at Bible characters, and it doesn't matter which Bible character you study, the mistake you can make is that in studying the character of the Bible, you see their qualities and their virtues, and you say, they were good at that, we should be like that. That's the mistake. When it's given for us for an example, so that's not, I shouldn't perhaps call it a mistake, it's a mistake in application when you're preaching it. The lesson we have to derive from these Bible characters is how do they point to Jesus? Why are they in the story? What is there about them that is pointing to him? What is it teaching us about Jesus and about God and therefore our relationship with God and Jesus? So that's what we want to get to this morning. Joseph's dad, we know, his father was Jacob, Matthew chapter 1 couple of verses before the passage I read. It's disputed whether Joseph himself was born in Bethlehem. He may have been. Some commentators, in fact, would argue that he was. And that at some point in his life, just like the Lord Jesus does later on, genera a generation later, at some point in young Joseph's life, his dad, Jacob, takes him to Nazareth. There was a Roman settlement over the hill from Nazareth called Sepphoris, which is where there was this Roman community being constructed, this city. There was a lot of work for builders and laborers. Maybe that's why. Not told. Anyway, we know that Joseph is in Nazareth. We know his occupation, that he was a carpenter. The Greek word used is tekton. It means somebody who works with his hands. Commonly translated, carpenter. A builder. Could have built houses. I think Warren said more like a cabinet maker. Is that right? Made and constructed furniture. Could have been a bricklayer. Working with his hands. Skilled. If that trade was around today, then he might even be simply what we would call a handyman. A jack of all trades. A a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of something else. He fixed things, he built things, he made things. Whichever way it was, he was a guy who was good with his hands, who followed a plan, and there was a result to it. Joseph was one of those, as his father was before him, Jacob, as Joseph would teach his son, Jesus. I need to move a bit quicker, because all of this is just by way of background. We know he was engaged. 
That's our word. The Bible uses another word called betrothed, which is a particular cultural term, which refers to, engagement is correct, but it refers to, in their culture, um, someone who, in Nazareth, a small community, and certainly Joseph and Mary would have known each other, would have seen each other, would have probably admired each other, would have made comments about each other, And so that's often what happened. Joseph went home and he's saying these interesting things about this new girl, Mary. She would have been younger than him. She would have been about 12, 13, 14, something like that when she got married, as most girls were back then. He would have been older than her, not necessarily much older, but two, three, four, five years maybe older than her. So here is this young guy, a carpenter, who's been at the age of 13 and done his bar mitzvah, is now an adult, who's now working a trade and has now worked five, six or seven years. So he's earned a little bit of income. So now he's able, he has the resources to get married. Talks about this young girl, Mary. Mary goes home, she talks to her parents about this stud of a carpenter she's been watching build stuff. And so eventually Mary's dad, Jacob, visits, uh, sorry, Mary's dad, Heli, visits Joseph's dad, Jacob, and they have a conversation. Whether mums and dads were together or whether it was the two dads, they had this conversation. And, you know, one is looking surprised and eventually they would have entered into an agreement of how much dowry would have been exchanged, a contract would have been entered into. Then the couple would have been informed that they are going to be betrothed. They would have come together at a family public gathering and probably in Nazareth, probably the whole village came. It's a very small community where Mary and Joseph would have stood together in front of family and the community, where a blessing by the fathers would have been pronounced over them and prayed for them. They would have drunk from the same cup of wine and then they were declared officially to be betrothed. It was a legally binding contract. Usually it lasted for about a year. That's when most people got married after that. Could be earlier, could be later. There was apparently some sort of built-in seven-year use-by date. You had to get married within seven years. If you didn't get married by the end of the seventh year, then the contract became null and void. And why they had that time frame was because once a man was betrothed to a woman, his responsibility was to go off and to actually build a house or to get one built. And so that when that was built, then he would go and collect his wife from her house and that they would return to his house where they would have a seven-day wedding feast and at the end of the seven days they would sleep together and they would be husband and wife officially from that point on. Make sense? So here is Joseph. We know that he is betrothed. He's in this period of time. It's after that public ceremony in uh, Nazareth and it's before the wedding. So he's off building the house. We know, because he, uh, we know because he was a boy that he would have been educated. She may not have been. Girls weren't educated in those days. Boys went to school, girls didn't. So he could read, he could write, he would know some of the scriptures and so on. He would have learnt his trade and so on. What did he look like? Sanctified imagination. He had a hooked nose, he would have been bearded, he would have been brown skin and muscular. He was about five foot seven tall. How do you know that? You look it up on Google. 
average height of a Jew back in the first century between five foot six and five foot eight. If I put him in the middle. European Jews are shorter than Scandinavian and American Jews. How about that? So, as far as I'm concerned, five foot seven. Hook nose, muscular, lean, but a worry guy because he was a tradesman. He worked with his hands. He was doing it six days a week. Had a hook nose because he was a Jew. Had a beard because all men back then did. When he got married, we'll come to the gap bit that I've jumped over. When he got married, he not only had his firstborn son, Mary's firstborn son, which was Jesus, he also then had six other children to Mary. <coughs> Four sons and at least two, maybe more, but at least two, because the Bible just talks about and his, Jesus's sisters. We're told the names of his brothers, Jesus's brothers, Joseph's sons. The firstborn son, his legal son, his adopted son, if you like, Jesus. Then after him, James, the guy who wrote the book, the letter. Um, Joseph, named after himself. Judas, interesting, which the early church didn't call him by that name. They called him Jude. wonder why they didn't call him Judas. So he got shortened to Jude. He's the guy who wrote that letter. And Simon. They were Jesus' four brothers, named in Matthew chapter 13. And his sisters, so at least two, maybe more. If Mary and Joseph had children, how often do you have a child back in those days? Every year? Every two years? Every three years? Well, why is that interesting? Well, because of this. When Jesus went to the temple, how old was he? Twelve. If she and he were having children every year, which is not impossible, then from Jesus, who was aged 12, down to the youngest, assuming there are seven in total, there's a gap of 12 to about, what, five? So maybe they went, like, with friends and family, as they said, but it's not just Jesus with Mary and Joseph. And so when they go home and Jesus is left in the temple, they're looking after all these other kids. And it's easy, if you think Jesus is with somebody else and you're looking after these kids, it's easy to leave loved ones behind. I've left Rhonda behind. <laughs> she had it coming, but... <laughs> Back in the day when Kate was here, before she went overseas, and we brought two cars. Kate brought her car, Rhonda came with me in our car. One Sunday. Only one Sunday, because I could never live this down again. And it wasn't Rhonda picking on me, it was some of you. I thought Rhonda went home with Kate. I don't know, I think I got home. Where's your mother? I don't know, she came with you. Oh, no. <laughs> Turned around, came back. Most people had gone. And there's Rhonda standing at the bottom of the car park, just waiting patiently. <laughs> As the church was leaving, need a lift? No, he forgot me. Remember then? <laughs> So it's easy to understand. You can do it. You ever left a loved one behind? Yeah, some. <laughs> no one left behind. Well, that was Joseph at the age of 12 with these other children growing up. What's now interesting, if you do the maths a little bit more, is that Jesus is now 12, and for the next 18 years, he goes in, we know nothing about him. It's not until about the age of 30, early 30s probably, when he starts his public ministry. In that 18 years... These children are completed in being born, and the youngest child, 
you've got to make some assumptions. The age difference between Jesus, 30 or in his early 30s, and the youngest child is probably around about 15 years. That's born about every two years. That's being pretty generous, I think. If that youngest was a girl, then at the age of 15, she would have been married. Which means when Jesus started his public ministry, how many kids are at home with Mary? None. Jesus stayed with Mary, raised the kids, providing for them. When that job is done, why is he doing it? Well, because what do you think happened to Joseph? We don't know, but probably he's already passed away. Because what's the first miracle Jesus performs? The Cana, the wedding, turns water into wine. Who was at the wedding? Mary. Joseph not mentioned. Mark chapter 3, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when the family is a bit concerned that he's gone a little bit loopy, that he's out of his mind, that he's insane, it's Mary and the brothers who come to get him. So it seems that by the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Joseph has passed away. So we know he's the son of Jacob, we know he's a carpenter, we know he was engaged to Mary, we know the Bible says, Matthew says that he was righteous. It means he attended the synagogue in terms of worship of God, it means he obeyed the law of Moses and the customs and the habits associated with his people. We know that he was five foot seven. <laughs> And my guess is, I'm guessing, five years older than Mary. If Jesus is born 5 to 7 BC, Mary's born 13 years before that, roughly, it's about 20 BC. Joseph is born about 25 BC. That's all guesswork. We don't know any of that. But it is interesting when you put it together in timelines and time frames. And this week, I actually changed my opinion, which I've held for something like, I don't know, 25, 30 years. It's the way I've always read the Christmas story. And I... There's another way you can read it. And I can't say this is absolute fact. I can only say this is possible. But when you come to this story, and let's focus now on Joseph for the remainder of what time we have. He's in Nazareth. He's betrothed. He's building a house. And we know from Luke that an angel, Gabriel, came to Mary. She's betrothed to him. They'd been planning the wedding. He's been planning the house. She's talking about what she's going to wear and which bridesmaids are going to come and what food are we going to have and who's going to be invited. They're planning their wedding because in their betrothal, they spent, the parents would have said to them, get to know one another and learn to love one another. That's an important command. They were not told, get to know one another and fall in love. That's not the biblical concept. And learn to love one another. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. It's something you learn. In our society, of course, it's all linked with romance and we fall in love. And the tragedy is, in our society, you fall in love and you... I don't love him anymore. Yes, that's a choice. Learn to love one another. Learn to forgive. And that's what she would have been doing. Then she gets an angelic visit... Mary, you're blessed above all women. You're the one who's been chosen. You're going to have a son. You'll call him the name Jesus. And she, of course, is submissive to that, and she accepts it. And the angel gives her proof. And your relative, Elizabeth, now in her senior years, is also pregnant. She's in her sixth month. And Mary is going to go and visit Elizabeth. Question. I always thought she went straight away. Maybe she did. But what if she didn't? 
Who do you think she would have told about the angelic visitor? I reckon, I don't know, I'm guessing, she told Joseph. They're sharing things together. That's a significant piece of information. What did she, well, we're not told if she did or, uh, or what she said. Now, this is where you're going to have to follow me because I'll do two different things and I'll do them in sequence, but <clears throat> it's one or the other. She either tells Joseph before she goes to see Elizabeth or she tells Joseph after she comes back from seeing Elizabeth, which is at least three months later. I always used to think it was that one because Matthew says, and she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. She was found. How would you find out that she was pregnant? Any ideas? That's what I'd always thought. But, angelic visitor, what if she told Joseph before she went? What was Joseph's response? Devastation. Did he believe her? No. Common sense told him women don't get pregnant by miracles like the Holy Spirit coming upon you. She's been unfaithful. And he's torn, he's devastated, he's crushed. Question, how long did he wrestle with? Oh, we don't know. But he had three options. According to the Old Testament law, she should have been taken out and stoned. That option wasn't available. They're now under Roman rule. He had three options. He could divorce her publicly. She's been unfaithful, she's now pregnant. And so I keep the dowry that was promised to me, so I get all of her property and everything else. He's much better off financially, and she is shamed and disgraced publicly. Second choice, I could divorce her quietly. Two or three witnesses, write out a bill of divorcement. She wanders off and has the child somewhere else, probably some other community, and nobody knows what's going on. Third, he could marry her. That wasn't a realistic choice for him because he's a righteous man. It went against his conscience. He would be marrying somebody whom he assumes has been unfaithful to. He's wrestling with this. Can't eat. He's at work. Can't think. He's talking to friends and family and he's thinking about this. It's devastating him. How long did that go on for? My guess is a short period of time. He worked through the options. I'm going to, because he's not only righteous, he's a gentle, compassionate man. My option is I'm going to divorce her quietly. Because he had grown to love her, I guess. Gotten to know her. As he considered that, the Bible says that he slept on it. Made my decision, that's what I'm going to do. Went to bed. And while he's asleep that night, he gets a dream. Matthew chapter 1. The angel comes to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, just like she said. She wasn't lying. He had misunderstood. He had made assumptions and they were wrong assumptions. He had drawn conclusions and they were the wrong conclusions. She was innocent and she was exactly as true and as honest as whatever. He had the best night's sleep he'd had for ages. When he woke up, the Bible says that he took her and he married her. When did that happen? Here's my guess. 
He married her before she went to see Elizabeth. Just a guess. Can't prove it. But when you put the timetable together, it goes, oh, that fits really well. He's building the house. She tells him, an angel has come and told me that I'm going to be expecting. He wrestles with it. He makes a decision to divorce her. The angel tells him, don't do that, marry her. The next day, the next few days, he leaves his house, he goes to her house, and they have the wedding ceremony. Lasts for a week. He takes her home as his wife, but he does not sleep with her, Matthew says. So as far as anybody else is concerned, they're married. The, mar the marriage is consummated. And they're the only two who know it wasn't. She goes to visit Elizabeth. When she comes back from that three months later, guess what? She's starting to show. What do people think? Wedding night conception. No shame. No misunderstanding. And that's why the Bible in about six different places will refer to Jesus as the son of Joseph. Everybody thought he was the son of Joseph. Nobody knew otherwise. And they weren't telling anybody until much later, until after the death and the resurrection and we get told the story. So here is Joseph who has this dream, who then on the basis of that makes a decision. This is certainly factual. Decision number one. He makes about half a dozen decisions. Decision number one, he marries her. As I said, takes her home, have the wedding ceremony. Did that happen beforehand? Did that happen afterwards? I don't know, but it does happen. He does marry her. Against common sense, against self-defense, against his own pride, he did what God told him to do. He married her. Joseph is a man who obeys God's instructions. As Matthew says, he was righteous. Tried to obey and do what God wanted him to do. And here he is, open and responsive to what God is telling him through the Spirit, through an angel, in a dream. Second decision. When the child is born in Bethlehem, he names the child Jesus, which is what the angel told him to do. And you will name him Jesus. He's obedient. He's now in Bethlehem with Mary. We've jumped over all of that part of the story. His third decision is that he continues to obey God. Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day, which is probably when he was also named. Forty days later, they're still living in Bethlehem. They go up to the temple for the purification ceremony and for the dedication. This is in Luke chapter 2. They go back to Bethlehem. They're now living in a house. Did Joseph build a house? No idea. They're in a house. And now either months later, or anything up to about two years later, three kings from the Orient come. Were they kings? Were there three? The wise men come. And they bring gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. So here is Joseph in Bethlehem, I suspect, awaiting God's direction for him until he leaves. Wise men leave. Then the instruction comes. Joseph, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. He does so because God told him to. When he's in Egypt, the angel comes and God tells him, return to Judah, to the land of Israel, because those who are seeking the child's life are dead. And he does so. When he gets there, he finds out that Malcolm Turnbull is the Prime Minister of Australia. 
No, he doesn't. He finds out Archelaus, the son of Herod, is the king. He's a bad dude. And an angel of the Lord says to him, go home. Go back to Nazareth. And he does. Because God told him to. Joseph is a man who does what God wants him to do. And not one word is recorded of him ever saying anything. But that is recorded of him consistently. He served God by being a godly man and by being a loyal husband and father. He would teach his sons the trade that he had. He would educate them and train them to grow up in the ways of the Lord and he would provide them as a hard-working man. He was loyal and faithful to God by being a godly husband and a God-fearing man who taught his kids. He taught the Messiah. He answered the Messiah's first questions instructed Jesus in the ways of God. What an awesome responsibility. He was used by God, Joseph was, to advance the kingdom of God through Jesus. Took the family annually to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, Luke chapter 2. And he passes away silently. He never says a word. Passes away from the story, the Christmas story, and from the scriptures. What one word would you use to describe Joseph? Faithful? good word loyal good word righteous that's Matthew's word I like the word obedient he was obedient he just did what God wanted him to do did as best he could here's the application for us like Joseph we all play a role in the Christmas story we play that role by the way that we respond to the birth of Jesus and to his coming into our world through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, we have a role to play. Three things. Number one, we should allow Jesus to come into our lives just like Joseph allowed Jesus into his life. Just like Jesus was born physically, literally, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, so Jesus needs to be born in us spiritually by that same Holy Spirit. We need to be born again. You need to open the door of your life. You need to open your mind and to receive, accept Jesus as your Lord and as your Saviour. And then you will experience Emmanuel, God with us. It's number one. Joseph did that. We need to do that. Number two. We, now to, we need to allow the coming of the Lord Jesus to direct our lives. Again, happened to Joseph. It must happen for us as well. We show our love for God by, being, by obeying his commands, even when you don't understand them. If God says it, God says it in the Bible, we should be doing it. And hold each other accountable to that. But sometimes God, through an angel, through a dream, through other means, will speak something into your life and you should be obedient to that as you correctly discern and evaluate it. Joseph was a carpenter, as I have said. He's one of those people that would measure twice, cut once. He's careful, he's methodical. Didn't want to make mistakes. He was a man who would build or make things according to a plan. He was organised. He was in control. And God comes to him and says, I want you to do this. I want you to marry Mary. That's against common sense. That's against his own self-defence. But he does it. Even though he doesn't fully understand. Can I see the whole plan, God? No. 
Just do this. Go to Egypt. Where? Just go to Egypt. When do I come back? I'll let you know. Steps along the way. We need to allow the coming of the Lord Jesus to be directing our lives as well as we follow him as passionate followers in this world. And number three, allow Jesus to come in, number one. We should follow Jesus' directions in our lives. And number three, when God chose to reveal himself to the world, the ancient world, our world, he did so through a human body. Jesus. God continues to do that. We are now the body of Christ. And it's still God's intention and purpose to reveal Jesus, the reality of the Father, to this world, through his body, through us, through Christ in us. We are his ambassadors. We are his messengers. Joseph reminds us that God is a God who is working with and through people who are obedient to him in order to bring about his salvation into the world. That's what we learned from Joseph. We need to commit ourselves like him to God and to his purposes and to being fully obedient to him. Let's pray together. Father, we bow end of this talk to say thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for recording this example of Joseph. And Lord, here we are. Write us into the story as well. Lord Jesus, come into our lives and reign in us. Direct us according to your will into the areas and places where you want us to be and to be serving. And Lord, here we are available. Fill us with your spirit. Use us as ambassadors, as messengers, as light in dark places to demonstrate your reality and your kingdom purposes to those we love and those around us. Lord, to this end, we commit ourselves and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.